Bibles. Actually, thank you, Bonnie and Linda, for wonderful playing as always. If you do have your Bibles, though, uh, please open them up to Colossians chapter 4. And we're going to start on verse 2 and go through verse 6. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. May God bless the reading of his word. So we're coming to a close, close to a close, on Colossians. And um, these are the final teachings that Paul and Timothy wish to bestow upon the believers at Colossae. These final exhortations about uh, how they are to conduct themselves while still living in the world. Um, Throughout the letter so far, they've critiqued those on the outside who have been trying to sway the Colossians into believing something other than Jesus Christ is enough. But the problem is, is that they can't escape the world either. The problem is, is that we're still going to encounter the world. And so Paul and Timothy give them wisdom and instruction on how to relate and how to continue forward, knowing that, yes, you're going to encounter people who are on the outside. And along with that, too, is just this expression of prayer, that that has to be the foundation. So let's go ahead and continue. Continue steadfastly in praying or in prayer being watchful in it with thanksgiving. So Paul and Timothy exhort their readers in the prayer. The term for prayer here is a general term for prayer. Thus, it isn't necessarily a certain kind of prayer that is being recommended. It isn't just petitions or supplications, but a continuous, continuous seeking out God through prayer in their lives. While they pray, they are to be watchful in their prayers. Uh, This sense of watchful has two emphases. The first is being watchful in the Lord. The second is being watchful in their own lives. And uh, Moo, I believe, who is a commentator, rightly recognized this as an already not yet tension scenario. That we are already part of the kingdom, but at the same time we are still waiting for the full revelation to be revealed to us. Thus, be watchful here and now, but also be watchful for the future event that's going to take place, which is the return of Christ. Ultimately, our prayers are to go hand in hand with thanksgiving. Four other times in Colossians, Paul and Timothy have brought forth the call of thanksgiving. Ultimately, toward the end of the letter, the theme continues. Knowing our God and knowing he hears us is enough for us to be thankful. Yet it may go beyond this as a reminder that we have much to be thankful for, regardless if our petitions are accepted or rejected um, or how our prayer requests are answered. Now verse 3. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison. Paul and Timothy now ask that they pray for us. Usually in a letter where Paul and someone else is the author, Paul will say us rather than me or myself. As it is, Colossians begins, as we noticed all the way back then, with Paul and Timothy as co-writers of the letter. As such, they are requesting that the Colossians pray for their own ministry together. 
The question is, what about their ministry or the Colossians to pray for? The answer is that God may open a door. The open, to open a door is a fairly common idiom, even used today. We use it actually commonly. It recognizes a desire for something to transpire or for an opportunity to occur. Yet what is the opportunity that they want? What is the door to be opened for? The answer may surprise us. It isn't that the door would be open for them necessarily, that is for Paul and Timothy. Instead, they ask that the word would have the door opened. The word itself is what causes growth, is what transforms. As such, Paul and Timothy request the Colossians to pray for them that the word that they proclaim would take root. They then say to declare the mystery of Christ. To declare is similar to announce as a herald. We know that Paul did seem to know of his own calling as a herald of the gospel. We know he considered himself, for example, the apostle to the Gentiles, and he was. As such, to declare represents the same line of thought. He knows his role and is asking for their prayers so that the door would be open for the word, the mystery of Christ, to be declared the way that he declares it. Paul then switches to the singular by informing the readers that it is this mystery, the word, which is the reason for his imprisonment. There may be a number of different reasons for Paul to express this at this moment. It might be a reminder that following after the calling of God has for you, it doesn't necessarily lead to greener pastures here and now. It may lead to hardships, such as imprisonment. It may also be a good reminder for them that prison cannot stop the spreading of the gospel. In either case, Paul recognizes his predicament, and it's for the sake of the gospel. Now verse 4. That I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. As Paul continues, he recognizes again his own place and the role God has called him. As such, the mystery aspect of the previous verse is made more readily available here. The hope that Paul has is that the mystery of Christ, that which is hidden, would be revealed through the preaching of Paul. That the gospel would be made known and understood through this vessel, who is Paul. The proclamation of the gospel is Paul's calling. As such, Paul recognizes this with the last clause. He knows that this is how he ought to proclaim the truth, by simply preaching the unveiled mystery of Christ to those around him, by making it clear. Some might reflect elsewhere in Paul's letters when he is compelled to proclaim the gospel. He says, woe is me if I do not proclaim. So it is here, or so it might be here, that he ought to because he is compelled to. Now verse 5. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. The exhortation now turns from prayer and a specific prayer request for Paul and for those who are working in the ministry with him to the Colossians' own walk in the world. Paul and Timothy recognize that the Colossians will encounter outsiders just as they themselves encounter outsiders. As it is, they encourage them to walk in wisdom. To walk is similar throughout the, Old Te- the New Testament as a way of describing one's lifestyle, how one um, is perceived to those on the outside too. To walk in wisdom then is to live in wisdom. 
to live in discernment toward outsiders. As they encounter outsiders, they will need wisdom to guide them in their daily discourses and their actions. The latter clause of the verse is well said in the ESV. The Greek scholars note it is closer to buy up time. That is, make the most of the time, or the best use of the time. In this way, it is possibly reminding us of two things. The first is the realization that time on earth is short. And as such, we should dedicate it to walking in wisdom. The other possibility is the already not yet scenario that we saw, uh, saw recently, again, in Paul. A recognition that Christ's return is imminent, and as such, make the best use of the time given now, because his return is close. Alrighty, the final verse, verse 6. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. At this point, there is a lot of speculation. The word used for speech is logos, and that can mean anything from casual conversation to the message of the gospel. Likewise, the word gracious can mean either grace from God or graciousness which we are able to bestow upon each other. So scholars note this could mean either the way that they should talk should be gracious or that the way they should proclaim the gospel in grace. Ultimately, it seems more likely that the way the ESV translated is best, recognizing that speech, how they talk at all, is to be done in grace. So whether it be casual conversation or sharing in the gospel, it is a good practice to do so graciously regardless of the situation. We then see the way in which they are to talk, not only with grace, but also seasoned with salt. This is another debated portion of the text. For saltiness could represent actually winsomeness, um, as it does in the culture at the time. So wit, be witty in your talk. Likewise, salt could also imply that they are to use wisdom itself, uh, since in Jewish literature at the time, wisdom in an unwise world would effectively be seasoning speech as with salt. So we're not really sure what they mean in that. It could be witty. It could just be funny. Be funny to the people around you. It's a good way to open up communication. Um, use jokes like the ones I use because they always go well. They go well with parties, don't they? <laughs> Let me tell you. Um, still, there is little consensus for sure. All we can be sure of is the final phrase, that they may know you ought to, how, how you ought to answer each person. If their speech is to be gracious and wise or gracious and winsome and witty, uh, the goal in their conversations with outsiders is to be able to answer questions which will eventually arise. Similar to what Peter says, that we should have an answer for the hope that is, that is in us. Though it is Dunn, who even Moo quotes, and Dunn is another commentator, who says it best, that the church at Colossae is expected to hold its own in the social setting of marketplaces, baths, and meal table, and to win attention by the attractiveness of its life and its speech. And I found that to be truly a great, great thing to say. So the main point of these verses, though, are to offer final exhortations to the the believers at Colossae. They are, to, they are taught to live lives of prayer to God as well as to walk in wisdom in the world around them. The goal is that they would be able to provide an answer to those who are on the outside. Thus prayer and focus on outsiders, 
That these are what permeates these verses. All right. A common theme within Paul's writings is the call for prayer. Not only does Paul urge us to pray, he does so by urging us to pray continually, or in the case of Colossians, to continue steadfastly in prayer. Prayer for Paul is a pivotal part of the Christian life and is something all Christians should continue to pursue in their lives. When Paul describes prayer in the text, he uses, again, a generic term for prayer. Most people do not realize that there are actually many aspects of prayer. Sometimes we think that prayer is only asking God for things. Uh, While there is a certain element to this, the truth is prayer can be used in a variety of ways. Or said another way, we can talk to God about a variety of things and topics. In fact, we see Paul citing a few of them in 1 Timothy 2.1 when he says, First of all, then I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people. So let's look at these for a second. Supplications. To pray in this way is uh, to humbly ask. To petition God concerning specific things in our lives. Or petition God on behalf of others. Whether it be for something like um, a job interview going well. Or for treatment uh, to work in regards to diseases. Or even for doctors to be able to operate well or to be able to diagnose what it is that's going wrong. Ultimately, these are supplications which are presented to God, requests that we take to God. Now the next one that they talk, or Paul talks about is prayers. And this is, again, in general, may reflect the Lord's Prayer. Sometimes when we pray, we do not need to ask for anything, but instead we simply desire the will of God to be done. So we go before God praying for his will, to simply speak to God, not necessarily asking, but simply to talk to the God who is there. Then there is intercessory prayer. This is the kind of prayer that we are to do for each other and for unbelievers. When we pray to God on behalf of others, we intercede on their behalf. When we go before the throne of God for those who are especially in sin. When we pray for, let's say, the town of Westfield, or for Tioga County, or for the the United States, the country, asking God not to cast his judgment on these areas, we are interceding on their behalf. The prophets did this regularly. As we can see, this kind of prayer can be done on behalf of individuals, but it can also be done for nations. Finally, thanksgivings. When we simply give thanks to God for all that he has accomplished, whether it is what he has accomplished through his son, or a specific blessing you notice in your life, maybe you've been praying for something, and then God answers that prayer. A good response would be to thank God for it. Maybe you weren't even praying for something and God graciously showed you favor. Or someone else favor. And indeed, both are worthy to give thanks to God. As Paul says, we should be praying continually or steadfastly. But then that leads us to a question. And the question we may want to ask is, why is it important to persist in prayer? I mean, God knows what I'm going to ask before I even ask it. Jesus points this out in Matthew 6, 7 7 through 8, when he says, And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Hmm. So what's the purpose? 
Well, I think that there are many different ones, but I would like to focus on two. The first is that prayer is transformative for us. Whether it is drawing us closer to God or reminding us of God's goodness, ultimately when we pray, we open ourselves up to God being able to speak through this life. This occurs because when we pray, we focus our minds on God. Thus, while praying, we are practicing the spiritual discipline and seeking out God who is there. We focus our energies on Him, speaking with Him, and opening ourselves to knowing Him more through this interaction. Now, this is a great thing to consider, for it reminds us that we can focus on God in this way, which is wonderful and a blessing, especially in a world where noise and distractions are all around. To be able to pray quietly, to come to the Lord, is a blessing. But that naturally leads to the second point. And that's that God wants us to talk to Him. Our God is a God who cares for us. He wants us to be open. And He wants us to open ourselves up to Him through prayer. He wants His children to speak with Him about their concerns. Or to petition to Him. Or to offer thanksgiving to Him. Because He is a God who can shoulder all of these things. And He wants to. Prayer reminds us of this. It reminds us that God is not just a deity far away and cares for nothing of our personal problems or appeals. Instead, God is a God who cares. He lovingly accepts our words. He lovingly accepts our joys. And he lovingly accepts our tears. So knowing this, it does seem prudent, doesn't it, for us to pray continually? Pray steadfastly knowing that the God who is there, he hears us. He hears you and listens to all that you present before him. How wonderful to be able to go to the Lord in this way. How wonderful remembering that our God wants us to personally know him. And prayer is a way which allows us to do so. Praise God for this. He is truly wonderful in all of his ways. And especially and allowing us to go to him in prayer. All right, this leads to the second application that I thought of. I want to take a test. How many of you are still here? I'm here. I know I knew there were going to be some who's like, "Oh no, kind of not really." Um, <laughs> I was expecting it from David though, most of all. I expected him to be like, "Oh." Um, but no, how many of you still interact with the world which you were born into. Do you? All right, let's be honest. Okay. That was an easy test, wasn't it? You all pass. The simple truth is, we are still here. We're still in this fallen world. One of the greatest tensions that we have seen in the scriptures is how we are part of a kingdom which has begun to arrive but isn't quite here yet. This tension is not lost on any of us. It wasn't even lost on the apostles. And especially as we and they await the coming of Christ. Still, because this is the case, the simple truth is, none of us can expect to miraculously avoid the world once we are in Christ. In fact, we're going to encounter the world in a far more challenging way than we once did. 
For as long as we are on the earth, the world will be there, and we will encounter it and those who still abide by its rules. What does this teach us? It teaches us that we are not called to simply put our heads in the sand and ignore the people around us and the culture around us. Instead, we are called to engage it. We are called to understand it and to provide an adequate response to it through the gospel of Jesus. And we do this in two distinct ways. The first is how we walk via our lifestyles, and the second is how we talk. As we live then, our lives become testimony to the truth of the gospel of Christ. The way we live, the way we speak, will speak volumes to the world in which we live. However, if we try to hide this fact from the world, then we no longer engage the world, and no longer engaging the world, we lose the very call to be able to answer each person. How will we be able to answer if we are not engaged? How can we attempt to proclaim the truth of the gospel if we aren't even involved with those around us? In other words, Paul and Timothy do not expect the Colossians to necessarily go out and only preach the gospel. No, Paul and Timothy know that to engage the world around us, we are going to need to be able to have conversations that we might call casual. How is the weather? Did you see the game the other night? What did you think about that what happened yesterday? Did you hear about that snowstorm? Anything. We can and should continue to have these seemingly trivial conversations, and in the midst of these conversations with unbelievers, we should be gracious. Simply put, we can't expect unbelievers to be thinking the same kinds of thoughts that we think about God. I can't go up to an unbeliever and ask them what they think about predestination, or the end times, or how God created the universe. At least not at first. Perhaps in time, such deep and meaningful questions and discussions can be brought up, but it isn't always necessary to begin there. Instead, by being gracious, we will talk to them where they need to be and where they are, in peace and kindness, and we'll use wisdom to discern what should be discussed and what shouldn't be discussed, while praying the same thing that Paul asked the Colossians to pray for concerning his own ministry, that doors would be open for the word. As time progresses, you might find that a door is opened, and when it is opened, be prepared to answer with the gospel of Jesus. While the gospel may not be proclaimed in every conversation, the ultimate goal of these conversations is that we would be wise, discerning, as to when to share the gospel. At the same time, this also encourages us to keep our minds in a state of learning. As we've seen plenty of times, when we come to Christ, we do not turn off our minds. Far from it. Instead, our minds begin to be renewed by the gospel of Jesus. We begin to want to learn more about him and be able to represent him and speak about him more clearly to those who are around us. That, I find, is the wonderful thing about the word itself. If we remember at the beginning of Colossians, the word is what grows in its own right. It expands. It grows fruit. Part of the fruit that this fruit of the gospel is that we can know about God and know more of him more and more. 
This will lead us to be able to talk about him more and more. It will allow us to live more and more for him. It does the work within us. It requires faith, but that faith leads to faithfulness. So when the door of the word is opened, it doesn't require us, require us to be anything more than faithful by sharing it and trusting it will do the work. Our labor is in faith. Faith that Christ will accomplish the redemption he started in us and faith that he can do so to others when the door is opened by God himself. Ultimately, we're still here. We're still in the world, but we're not of the world. Being here means we are to encounter all that the world will throw at us. So be encouraged to engage it rather than run from it. Be encouraged to not be afraid but to show grace in a graceless world. To be salt in all forms. Walking in the wisdom of God for his glory. For our own benefit, as well as the benefit of the world around us. And all this, of course, leads to the gospel. I told Betsy that today's sermon was short, and I'm looking at the clock and I'm like, oh wait, that's real wrong. (laughs) Thank goodness. Because otherwise we've been here for a while. Um, (laughs) But no, it leads to the gospel. And we talk about it all the time. We talk about, you know, the origins. Yes, we get it. God created the world. He created it through his own means. He He was the first cause of all creation. Yes, this is our foundation starting point. That God exists at all. And that he is before it all. Um, And from that we're created and we're able to have reason, we're able to search and experience and have all these wonderful things because we're creating the image of God. Yep, that's still working. And at the same time, it reminds us that all of us have dignity, worth, and sanctity to our lives, and that's wonderful. But then we wonder, okay, the problem of the fall, and I think that's something that we see in this text a little bit, is the fact that We have to be gracious because people still live in the fallen world. Not everyone is a Christian, as we know. And the truth is, is that when we're gracious to these unbelievers, we're just merely doing what we just talked about. And that's reflecting the image of God. Because guess what? God was gracious to you before you came to Christ. Um, And he loved us before we came to Christ. And so when we are gracious, Paul and Timothy are just telling us what Jesus did (laughs) and to reflect it. Reflect it on the fallen world. And you know what? They're also teaching us just to do what Jesus did by walking in wisdom. He knew when to talk. He knew when not to. There's a moment in Scripture when he decides not to go out and heal people because he knew their hearts. He uses wisdom to know people. The same thing can be said of us. We need wisdom in this world. Wisdom to know what to do, how to do it, and how to walk circumspectly. And we have our perfect example in Christ. You see, that's the redemptive property of Jesus. Is that it's not just about saving our souls, which is the grand scheme. But that overflows onto everything else. And that the redemption of Jesus redeems all of who we are. 
And this is something that we keep on coming up to in Sunday school in the book Total Truth that Mike is, is I think, shaking his head to because he recognizes that, wow, the redemption of Jesus really does transform everything, doesn't it? I mean, even today we're talking about mathematics <laughs> and how, whoa, there's a Christian view of mathematics. You know, I don't expect to hear something like that, but there is. God, he redeems everything through Jesus. And when you think about that, you think about how miraculous that is and how wonderful that is that God uses your life when you were once dead in sin and you can glorify God now in all manners of life. The way you work, the way you talk, the way you live. That's a redemption that is complete. That's a redemption that is whole. That is the redemption of Jesus Christ. That when he lived, he walked, he lived, he died, all in time, space, history, and flesh. And he was risen again. And through this, the sacrifice has been made, the redemption has been made, and we are just called to be faithful. Have faith in Christ and faithfully walk the way that he walked. Live the way that he lived. You know, there's a moment in the scriptures when Jesus talks about him growing in wisdom and stature. Sometimes I wonder, did Jesus get there like the whole way? Because I'm still growing. <laughs> I'm 31. And I'm still learning and I'm learning that there's a lot more I need to learn <laughs> about who God is. A lot more. You know what? I'm going to get to probably 60 God willing. And I'm going to be like, I've still got millions of years to go <laughs> before I completely understand who God is and all of his wonder and all of his ways. Our God is awesome. And that's where glorification comes in because guess what? We're going to have a million years. We're going to have a million years to learn more about this God, to know about all the ways that he loves us through his son Jesus. We're going to have so much to look forward to don't lose sight of that. You know, in this time, troubles arise. Depression hits. Pain hits. The hecticness of what should be a time of reflection hits. <laughs> but guess what? We're heading somewhere. We're heading to the glory of God through Jesus. And if we keep our eyes on that, that's where our strength will be for today. And it'll give us peace during all this time. So as we consider these final exhortations from Paul and for Timothy, and as we reflect on how we ourselves can um, reflect the image of Jesus Christ, know that there's peace here. And know that there's complete and total joy. And that Jesus Christ brings a redemption which is full. Let us pray. Father, as we consider your awesome majesty, as we consider the fact that you have redeemed all of who we are through your son, Jesus Christ, we give thanks. For there was a time when we were dead in our sins. There was a time when we were under the judgment of death. And yet through your son, Jesus Christ, you have redeemed us from death and you have redeemed us 
from a death that is not only at the end of our lives, but even now, so that we can begin to live now for your glory. Father, we ask that you would help us while we walk in this world, that as we encounter the culture and as we encounter individuals who are unbelievers, let us walk in wisdom. Let us walk in a way which they can see you, most importantly. We thank you, Lord, that you have done so much in our lives to lead us so far, and yet we know that you will lead us to the goal. So again, we thank you. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Please rise as we sing our final.